I think that introductory video says a lot. It talks a lot about what the heart and the desire is for this whole series, that we're not called to be uh, just the community that gathers together as strangers to worship, but that we really are called to become family, to become a community. And that's what we are talking about in this series called One Anothering. Just this past week, uh, Shannon and I had to in, uh, endure another family transition of sending our daughter off to college. Many of you know Miana, and so we got her moved in this past week at Anderson University, a great Christian college just north of Indianapolis in Indiana. And, uh, and so we were thrilled that she is uh, going to the school and, and getting settled in and meeting her roommate and doing all that fun, all that fun stuff. Uh, many of you have asked, how are we doing? <laughs> how did it go? And uh, it went well, it went great, but the goodbye was so hard. <laughs> and uh, it's just a stage in life, and it's an it's a exciting future for her, and it's a part of a normal transition in life. But, uh, but what I want to just say on this is I just appreciate so many of you that have asked, that um, have been praying for us, that are just encouraging her, and it just reminds me of the power of community. It's because we have a family. It's because we have people that know and love each other that, that you guys care and ask, and I really appreciate that. And so we're talking about being a community. One of the things we love to say is you never know how much you need community until what? Until you, now, now, now you got to say it though, you got to really extend that need at the second time, right? You never know how much you need community until you need community right? We, don't, we think we're fine. We think we don't need anybody. We think we're good. Life's fine, especially when things are up and to the right and work is going like it should and relationships and, and, you know, are going as they should. Life is, is going swimmingly. The finances are there. All things are good. Faith is going in the right direction. We don't need anybody <laughs> until you need somebody. And if you've gone through life long enough, you know the moment comes, the time comes when you need community, and it's not enough just to be on your own. And just to come to a church and worship is wonderful, but to be in relationship with others that get to know you, that know your life, that know who you are, that is where true life is found, and that's how God designed us. And that's why the Bible has over, you know, over in and about 61 another passages talking about how do we relate with one another? How do we not just become a worshiping body of strangers, but a community, a family that knows one another, that, that engages, encourages, and, and lives in life together with one another? To move out of these rows and into circles, and that's our heart, and that's our desire uh, as, we, as we teach this series and as we talk about who we are as a church, what true belonging looks like, to know others and to be in relationship with them. And so we began the series talking about loving one another. The foundation, right, of everything is love one another as Christ loved us. He set the example for us. And what we began with is saying, love moves us closer. Love has a drawing power. Love is something we commit to. And the commitment we make is to take a step closer. And what we know is when we take a step back from community, when we take a step back from the church, what begins to happen is we start wondering, I don't really know other people. I don't really feel at home there. I don't feel connected or I don't know anybody. But moving in closer requires a commitment on our part to take a step in that direction. And as we learn, love is not optional. Jesus gave us the example and he said love is to be our calling card. We're to be known as the people who love one another. And so last week then we moved now a step closer. How do we experience that? And that's what we're talking about these weeks. And so we began with welcoming one another. It starts with opening our eyes and noticing those around us. It means opening our homes and engaging with people, opening our hearts to others and saying, I am open to this connection, open to the relationship. And what God begins to do is when we open our hearts to others, 
especially those that are often on the fringe or maybe that, that, that aren't quite in the in-group or feel like they don't know how to connect. When we reach out, it's amazing what begins to happen. And that's how God begins to develop community. We've got life group uh, that, uh, that are happening all throughout our church. We've got the expo happening afterward. There's a welcome spirit there that says, come and be a part of community. Find a family to connect closer into. That's welcoming. And today I want to talk about part three, and that's encourage one another. The Bible talks about encourage one another. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, here's one of the places it talks about encouraging each other. It says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So we ought to be thinking about ways. You've got to be active. How do I think about it? How do I motivate you? How do I motivate you towards love, towards good works, motivating each other? How do we do that? And then it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It's easy to pull away from community, to neglect the meeting together, and to say, ah, I'm good. And eventually we begin to be distanced, and he's saying, encourage one another, motivate one another. So let's talk about that today. The word encourage is, a, is an interesting word. It has roots in Latin and in French, and it comes from en, which is to put into, and cur, which is the French word for heart. And it means to encourage, to put heart into somebody, right? To give that to them, to encourage them, to put courage or strength into someone's heart. Is that a neat way of thinking about encouragement? I'm going to put something into your heart. I'm going to give you that strength. I'm going to give you that courage. We need that. We need to be uplifted. We need someone to inspire us. We need to be motivated. It can't always just come from within. We need others. And why does the Bible talk about encourage one another? Why do you think? Because we often get discouraged. <laughs> Has anyone here ever been discouraged? Am I the only one <laughs> that ever faces discouragement, right? So discouragement is the opposite, right? If, if, if encouragement is putting like heart and strength into, discouragement is like you're losing heart. And that's really what it feels like. You lose heart. You lose will. You lose the motivation maybe to move on. And maybe you're in that place right now. When I thought about this and I thought about times of discouragement in my life, I could, I could come up with a lot of different stories and scenarios. But one of the first ones that came into my mind was, was back when we, were, uh, we had moved from Indiana to Arizona to, to start a church. We left family, we left everyone behind, and uh, we invited some friends to be part of this, this new endeavor with us to help us to entrepreneur a new church was, was a big deal. We had a couple of young guys that were part of our student ministry that had some energy and some life that wanted to come out and wanted to be part of the band, and that was exciting. And one couple that was really close to us uh, said they would move out with us. And he, he was going to be my like, co-pastor. We were going to share this, this journey together. And a few months, you know, we were in preparation, and a few months before the launch of the church, he drove out and he dropped his car off in Arizona, drove all the way from the Midwest out there, dropped his car off. We had some meetings. We made some plans. And for the church, and it was exciting. They were making the transition. And then we were a couple of weeks out from starting our first service, our preview service, where all the work had to be done. Everything had to be ordered and put together. It was a ton of work. And a couple of weeks before that, I don't remember. Maybe it was even the week of. I don't remember exactly. But I remember getting a phone call from my friend. And with a heavy heart, he said, we're not moving out. And I just remember feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. I mean, I literally broke down and, and cried. I was just like, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that we can do this on our own. It just felt so heavy. It felt so much. It was literally losing heart. 
this passion that had driven us, that had moved us across the country, this call, well, all that stuff was still there, but somehow in this moment, the discouragement was just so heavy, and it was so hard, and that's what it feels like when you lose heart. Can you go on? How do you do that? Who comes alongside? How do we experience that encouragement? And God continued to provide and to move, and we're still great friends uh, with, with each other, and, and, and God works in those ways, but we feel those moments of incredible discouragement. How have you faced discouragement? Maybe you're tired of fighting a health battle. It just continues on. And if it's not one thing, it's another thing, and it just keeps going, and you feel discouragement. We feel discouragement in so many different ways. Maybe you've just been continuing to fight in your marriage and trying to have a good marriage, and it's working, trying to work through it, but you're getting discouraged. You're wondering, is it always going to be like this? Can't we ever get through this and find a stronger footing? Maybe you're frustrated with your kids. Maybe you've got a lot of young ones running around your house, and it's just like, oh, I get discouraged because it just seems like there's never an end to it. Or maybe they're in high school, or maybe they're going off to college, or maybe they're out of your house and they're still giving you challenges or struggles, and you ache, or you, you just, your heart goes out to them and you feel discouraged. Maybe you're not reaching some of the goals that you've wanted. Maybe you're lonely because of friends and trying to, to, to connect with others. Maybe you're seeing lack of progress in your business or in your work. You thought you'd be somewhere and you're not there yet. Maybe you're serving and volunteering, you're giving of yourself and your time wanting to make an impact, but maybe it doesn't feel like it's quite happening yet or it's taking longer than it should and you feel discouraged. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you didn't get that promotion that you thought you should have. Maybe the finances are tighter than they need to be or you just can't seem to get out from under it. Discouragement, it comes in so many ways. Discouragement, lock, the, the, the lack of realizing your expectations, the things that you'd hoped for. You thought you'd make the team. You thought you'd have a starting position. You thought you'd get that next promotion. I don't know what it is, but discouragement comes in so many different forms in so many different ways. Spiritually, we can get discouraged. We remember having a new relationship with Jesus and the fire and the life that we had, and maybe right now it just feels kind of flat. You're not even sure that God's there. You're not sure is he answering your prayers. You're not sure that you want to continue forward. There's, we face discouragement. All throughout our lives, there's discouragement everywhere, and it feels like the heart gets pulled out from us. And when you face those times, if you've been there, you realize sometimes, I don't know if I want to keep going forward. Maybe you don't even want to get out of bed some days. Anyone been there? You're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to move on and say, you know, I'm done with that situation. I'm done with that person. I don't know if I can handle it anymore. Discouragement steps in. And the other thing we notice is like there's no energy or passion. When you feel discouragement, it's like you're just sapped, right? The heart, the courage is gone. You, kinda, you can see it sometimes on people that just what discouragement looks like and what it feels like. You're going, I don't know that I can continue on. I don't know that I can actually keep doing this. And you feel that loss of hope. And then the other thing that we do when we get discouraged, which is quite ironic is, or interesting, is we actually pull away from people, right? The very time where we need help, where we need community, where we need support, maybe we pull back and don't really want to talk to others. We don't really want, we're tired of sharing the difficulties or the challenges. And so instead of leaning into community, we back away and we feel potentially even more discouraged. We've all dealt with discouragement in one way or another. And so today I want to look at why it's so important when the Bible talks about encouraging one another. 
And not just why it's important, I think we know it's why it's important. We need the courage, but how do we do that? How do we encourage one another? Let's pray and ask God to really open our hearts, and I pray that you would be encouraged today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that reminds us to encourage one another, to motivate one another, to be there for each other. Lord, I don't know what people in this room, all the struggles they're facing. I know some, and I know some are facing some very big challenges. Those listening online, God, what, what struggles, challenges, what, what's causing discouragement, where heart is being lost, God, would your word today encourage us, and would your community bring us new life today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at discouragement and encouragement, the first thing I think about is that Jesus understands our discouragement. Sometimes we think Jesus doesn't understand discouragement. You know, he's not, he was God and, 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 and just, you know, could walk on water and do miracles, and I'm sure he didn't deal with discouragement. Jesus dealt with discouragement. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew that the end was near, and his soul was incredibly heavy. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to take some time to pray. And what he did is he called his disciples who were his friends, who were his followers, and he said, come with me to pray. We read about it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And then he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. This is a little bit more than discouragement even. I mean, anguish and distress. And listen to what he tells them. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Have you ever voiced those words? Ever feel that heavy? Your soul is crushed to the point of death? I mean, with so much grief, that is an incredible burden that he's carrying. And he's saying this to them, and he says, stay here and keep watch with me. I need you. Especially you three, James and John, Peter, right? Just come, be here with me. Then he went on a little further, farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He's praying. And then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And it happened again. And it happened again. And we just see that Jesus understands what discouragement feels like. Jesus understands that he needs his friends. And he was Jesus. And we think we can do it alone. We think we don't need anyone. And Jesus himself asked for his friends to be there and to support him. Now you might say, well, wasn't, isn't it enough that he just went and prayed to his heavenly father? And prayer is important. And having encouragement from our heavenly father is important. But I might even argue to say it's, it's not enough. That almost sounds sacrilegious to say, right? Just, just God's not enough? I mean, God is enough, but, but somehow, even in this moment, Jesus said, I need my friends. And I wouldn't say God would say, it's not, I'm not enough, or he said, well, I have a reason for that, because I've given you other people. And part of the way that I work, and part of the way that I encourage you is through other people, that you will not be alone and do that on your own. And yet, we think we can do it alone. Eventually, there's, we don't have enough self-talk to encourage us. We, we run out of our own pep talks. And we just get discouraged. We hit that place. But God created us to need each other. Remember week one, I need you, and you need me. We need each other. I love the way Paul writes to the church in Rome. And he says to them, right at the very beginning of this letter that he writes to them, he says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. 
when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. See, and that's what happens when we encourage one another, that I gain encouragement from you and for how you live and the faith that you have, and you can gain encouragement from me. We need each other, this mutual encouragement. Because in our faith, we get beaten down. There's unanswered prayers. There's struggles that we deal with. The Bible talks about, you know, helping a brother or sister who is stuck in sin to approach them, to confront them, for those that are walking away from the faith to help bring them back, to encourage those that are neglecting meeting together, to encourage each other to love and to serve. You know where you're not going to get that encouragement? Outside the church. Our world isn't going to say, keep going after God, keep surrendering, be about living a sacrificial life, love others with arms wide open. The world isn't going to encourage us to be in that way. We need the church, and God has called the community of the church to be a mutually upbuilding community because we need each other. Now, how do we do that? I want to talk about four ways that we encourage each other, four very practical things that I think we can do, that we can do today, that we can do this moment, that you can do this week, that will have incredible impact in the world and in the life around you and the people that you encounter. So four ways to encourage one another. The first is this, maybe kind of obvious, words. <laughs> You have to actually speak out encouragement. And one of the phrases that has so much power is to say, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. When somebody speaks that into us, something happens. We hear those words because many times what happens is we forget that we believe in ourselves, that we believe something can't happen. That we, and I'm not talking about faith, like not, you know, neglect, not believing in God. But this idea that we can do it, that we're capable, that God has equipped us. And when we get discouraged, we need somebody to speak into us what we ourselves maybe are failing to see any further. When we're dealing with the struggles, when we deal with challenges, we lose sight of who we are and what God has called us to. And we need somebody sometimes from the outside to remind us of that very thing. In the New Testament, Paul, who again was this just amazing missionary who just seemed to be a man who had unending energy and zeal to, for the Lord to start churches and to develop churches, he had a protege and an apprentice named Timothy. And we have a couple letters that he wrote to Timothy. And young Timothy, as he was encouraging him, he writes this letter, and we read about it in 2 Timothy 1, 6-7. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, This is why I remind you to fan into the flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Come on, Timothy. That gift that you have, fan it into flames. Let's go. Come on, don't just let this thing fizzle out. God's not giving you a spirit of fear or timidity. He's giving you a spirit of love and of power and self-discipline. Now get after it, Timothy. Okay, Paul, I'll do it. <laughs> you mean, Timothy's like, come on, let's go. Because somebody's speaking into him, I believe in you. I believe what God has put in you. He sees what others can't see. And we all get to that place. It's about three years ago that I wasn't sure that I wanted to continue being your pastor or being in ministry at all, to be honest with you. I was at my end. A lot of different things that were going on, a lot of struggles and challenges, and really questioning what the future is. Do I still want to be in ministry? I shared that with our board. That's not always a great thing to do when you share that with your board. <laughs> to say, I'm not sure if I've got how much runway I still have left. I'm not done yet, but it's getting close. 
And by the grace of those in this church and others, and, and especially on our board, to say, you know what? I asked if I could go see uh, a counselor in, in Florida and take Shannon with me because uh, we were both just needing some, some, uh, some outside perspective. And this counselor works specifically with ministers and, 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 and ministry leaders. And it was refreshing to have somebody speak and, re- and reflect back to us, who are you really? Who are you listening to? Asking that question, what voices? Why are you listening into the naysayers? Why are you listening to those who don't have faith in you, who don't believe in you? What does God say about you? What does the Bible say about who you are? What, what do you feel in your soul that God is speaking into you? And to start articulating those things, to start living those things out. Who do you need to listen to? What, is, what does your wife say about you, Mark? Thank God she says good things about me and is an encourager. And who she is. And I remember also just before that time, our board coming back uh, together and reflecting on some, uh, just some, some review that we had. And I remember hearing those words that, that were so powerful to me. Mark, we have full confidence in you that you are called to be our leader. In a moment where I didn't feel it, in a moment where I wasn't sure that that was true, I doubted it. I felt like others doubted it. And to have somebody else reflect that to me was powerful. God needs other voices to say, I believe in you. I believe in you. And, and, and when we don't believe in ourselves or we don't believe what God has called us to, other people can be that voice. Will you be that voice to someone else? Will you offer that fresh perspective? First Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and do what? Build each other up just as you are already doing. Man, there's so many things in this world that tear us down. The last place we need that is in the church. We get enough of that everywhere else. It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus in this world. It's not easy to pursue some goals and to pursue some dreams and to sacrifice and to move forward and to to grab hold of a God-honoring vision. We need to build each other up to believe in a person's ability, their strength, their courage, their perseverance. I've been a soccer coach for like 18 years now. Coached all kinds of players over the years, and my coaching philosophy has developed over the years, but what has really shaped me a lot in the last couple of years is learning that the most powerful gift I have to improve a person's playing ability is not teaching them skills, but is encouraging them. It's just encouraging them, and that doesn't mean you don't teach skills, it doesn't mean you don't teach strategy, it doesn't mean you correct where things aren't wrong, but the most powerful gift is encouragement. So when some of these girls, and I coached predominantly girls in the last few years, when they're coming off the field, I try to make a point as much as I'm able to to look and find something good that they've done on the field. What did they do well? What did they do? And, and when they come, came off the field yesterday, a girl coming off the, off the, uh, coming off the field, and I'm like, gosh, that was amazing. When you were up on, you know, you're a midfielder and you were up front and they were coming back on attack, I saw the way that you ran from that end. You sprinted all the way back. You didn't stop until the very end. Way to go. Give me a fist bump. And you can see her kind of going, yeah, I did that. <laughs> you're right. I am fast. You're right, I can do that. What do you think the next time she's going to do the next time that ball is way down the field and she's out of, you know, up, out of position and has to get way back? What's she going to do? I'm fast. I can run. I can do this. This is important to my team. And it's noticing the good, and it's so easy to notice the bad, but to build each other up makes a huge difference. How do you do that? How do you say to somebody, I see the gift in you. Man, you bless me when, when you play violin, Peggy. I love it. Keep Keep going. I see the way you interact with kids, and, you know, you're so good with toddlers. Oh, man, in the student ministry, that man, we need people like you. The love and the energy that you give to students is awesome. Thanks for investing in that. Oh, you have such an eye for detail. 
Oh, for beauty, I love the way you create those slides. I love the pictures that you guys take. Man, it's amazing. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Don't just blow smoke up someone's skirt, right? It's not just to do that. But you got to use, I don't know, you never heard that phrase? All right. Um, you got to use words. Don't underestimate the power of your words. Don't be stingy. Sometimes we're so stingy with our words. Open your mouth. Oh, I'm just, a, I'm just a realist. I just say it the way it is. Well, you know what? Nobody likes you. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around you. You're not encouraging anyone. And you're going to be lonely the rest of your life. <laughs> now that's reality. <laughs> now let me encourage you. <laughs> Doesn't mean, again, to make things up and just to be whatever. But to really see the good. And to be positive and to learn to focus in on that, it makes such a difference in the lives of people around us. Your words are important. I believe in you. Say that to somebody this week. Beyond our words, another way we encourage others is by our presence. And we use a phrase like, I'm with you. That's a powerful phrase when you hear that. When somebody says, I'm with you. There were so many times in discouraging seasons in my life where somebody says, I am with you. I believe in you. It's not just the word from outside, but now someone coming alongside and saying, I'm going to stand in the gap with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. That is so encouraging if you've ever been in that place. We see a couple examples in the Bible of this. One is in the book of Ruth. Ruth is, um, has a mother-in-law. Her name's Naomi. And uh, Naomi came from, she's, she's now, she was married, she has two sons, and she moved to a land in Moab where her two sons married two Moabite women. And so life is going along, and then Naomi loses her husband, and she loses her two sons. And what that meant in that culture is now as, as, as a widower, without any sons, you had no rights, you had no land, you had no property, it was incredibly difficult and so she needed to return to her homeland to find someone in her extended family who might be willing to take her in. But what was she going to do with her daughter-in-laws? They were family. But they, too, were widows now. They, too, had this challenge, but they were still young. And so she tells them, look, you're still young. You can find someone else. You can remarry. You can do that. But for me, I'm too old. i got to go back home. Just go on your own merry way. And she really meant that, and one of the daughters did that, and it was her right to do that, and it was okay for her to do that. But the other one, Ruth, this is how she replied. We read about it in Ruth 1.16. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Naomi, I am with you. That was a sacrifice. That was incredibly difficult. Do you think Naomi was encouraged from that? That was an incredible encouragement to say, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk through it with you. I'm going to try to support you in whatever way I can. I'm not just going to encourage you from afar. I'm not just going to cheer you on. I am going to be there right by your side. And it's a beautiful story of self-sacrifice and redemption. We read another story, and it's Jonathan and David. David is, is, is to become the next king of Israel. The problem is, is he isn't the king's son. Saul is king and his son is Jonathan. And you would expect Jonathan to be the next in line for the throne. But no, God appointed David to be that. And David and Jonathan became friends and they became close friends. But Saul hated David and Saul wanted to kill David. But Jonathan wasn't going to be a part of that. Jonathan knew what was going on. And here's how Jonathan talks to David. He says to him in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. 
Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be where? Next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. He reminded him to stay true to the vision, to stay the course, to hold his faith, and not just to encourage him, but to say, I'm going to be there with you every step of the way. Man, it is so encouraging when we come along others and say, I'm here. You can count on me. I got your back. I got your six. I'm here for you. You don't have to worry about it. And when we do that, we lend our heart and our courage to somebody else. We say, you know what? You may not have it this moment, but when I'm with you, it's like jumper cables. You know jumper cables? Anyone ever jump a car before, right? My car's dead. My battery's dead. It's not going anywhere. I need somebody to pull up with a car who's running with a fully charged battery. I hook the jumper cables on one car, and I put them on the other car, and I need the power. I need the energy, and I need the courage that comes to come and help restart my engine. And that's what we can do for each other is when we say, I'm there for you. My words... I believe in you, my presence, which says I am with you. The third is this, support. Not only are you with you, I support you. Let me help you. <laughs> you want to encourage somebody else? You want to encourage one another? Say, let me help you. I want you to do a little uh, experiment with me here while I teach this point. So um, do me a favor. If you uh, can't, put your hands out in front of you like this, nice and high. And it's going to feel weird for a while, but you're just going to leave them out here. This would be like you're getting your morning exercise in while you're in church. If you have room next to you, you can do this. But somewhere like that, you leave your hands out in front of you. And you don't put them down until I say. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a little while. But just, just keep them out. Just keep them out in front of you. So when you think about supporting one another, there's a story in the, in the Old Testament where Moses is fighting a battle. Moses and the Israelites are, are at war. They're going to go fight the Amalekites. And they're in this valley, and uh, Moses appoints Joshua, who's the commander of the army. And he says, Joshua, we're going to fight the Amalekites. And when we fight them, the Lord has promised me that when I hold up this staff, we are going to defeat the Amalekites. And so I'm going to raise the staff. So I'm going to go up on this hill that overlooks this valley, and you will see me all day. I'm going to hold up this staff, and God will give us victory as I raise up this staff. And so Moses is doing that, and he starts fighting the battle. And then we read here in Exodus chapter 17, it says this, As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage. Should I read slower? But whenever he dropped his hands, don't yet, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So his arms dropped, right? They, they, Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. How you doing? <laughs> Feeling a little burn? Gravity's real, the shoulder's starting to burn. And this has only been like a minute or two. Imagine the whole battle, the whole war is depending on your ability to hold up the staff that God has given you. And so what happens? Well, Moses wasn't alone. He had his, his sidekicks, the men that were around him, friends, Aaron and Hur, and it says this. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Why are some of you shaking? <laughs> Go ahead and put your hands down. Or maybe you need to support each other, right? This is what happens when we get discouraged. When we're getting tired from the battle, when we can't hold our hands up anymore. We can pray out to God, give me more strength, but the arm doesn't seem to go up. We need an Aaron. We need a her. We need some others around to encourage one another to hold up our arms and say, 
we're in this with you. We're in this battle, but we're, we're going to give you the words of encouragement, but we're, also, but we're also going to support you. Let me help you. And they did this. Who can you be an Aaron and her to today? Whose arms do you need to lift up and encourage? We need that to be able to say to someone, let's do it together. Let me remove an obstacle for you. Let me, let me help you out in some way. Can I come over? I'm bring my shovel and I'll help dig out that tree in your backyard, right? Let me introduce you to someone. Let me make a contact for you. I have some connections in the industry. Let me see if I can, you know, get an internship for you or get you an, an interview. Whatever it is, how do we support one another? How do we come alongside providing some much needed financial support? I remember after having lost a job and having some severance, and when the severance ran out, I didn't have the next job yet. I wasn't here yet at Meadow Park. And, uh, and you know what comes regardless of whether you have a paycheck or not and you live in a house and you have a mortgage? The mortgage payment. <laughs> Bills. They keep coming. And you know what encouragement was when we didn't just have friends that said, we believe in you and we're with you? But when they handed us an envelope with enough cash in it to cover our mortgage for that first month after the severance ran out. That's some tangible encouragement. Do you think we were encouraged at that point? Absolutely. It's an amazing thing that happens when we come alongside, let me help you. And the fourth is this. It's your story. It's your story. It's so encouraging when someone else can say to you, me too. The power of saying, me too, it happened to me too. You know, when I lost the, my job and I thought I was the only one and, and, and it was so, you know, there was parts of it that was embarrassing. There was parts that were just confusing. There was parts that was upset and angry. And to have some other people who I respected who had great careers and jobs saying, you know what, I've gone through that too at some point in my life. I was like, what? Are you serious? Really? But they began to show me that there is another way forward. There is another side to it. And I remember actually here at Meadow Park and meeting with the, uh, being on the phone call with uh, part of a search team and a couple of the men that were on that call and, and hearing some about my story and kind of going, okay, I get to, that's a fun thing to tell your you know, future place where you might be working that you lost your job. But, you know, they had such empathy and said, you know, one of them said, you know, I've, I've gone through that myself. I know how hard that can be. I know it's not always fair. And it was, there was no judgment in that, but there was an empathy there. There was an encouragement there. It's so powerful when we come alongside others and say, you know what, me too. I have dealt with that. I have gone through that. We say, you see that in the power of support groups or others that say, you know what, I've dealt with cancer before. I've dealt with a parent who's struggling. I've dealt with kids dealing with this or that or the other. When we say me too and we share that story, there's something there because we, we can now see tangibly the other side. We can gain courage. We can gain hope that on the other side of doubt, that there's faith. On the other side of despair, there's joy. On the other side of disaster, there's hope. On the other side of rejection, there's love. On the other side of failure, there's success. On the other side of fear, there's courage. And more than just words, we can see that in someone else's life. So we need to share our story and find connecting points. You may not always be able to relate to everything someone else is going to. We can't. But in those times and places where God places you in someone's life where you can say, you know what, me too, I dealt with that. And here, let me show you, there is another side to this. That brings incredible encouragement. That puts heart back into others. So the bottom line today, encourage one another. And let's be practical. This isn't just some kind of hypothetical teaching. Use your words. I believe in you. Come alongside. Be present. I am with you. You can do this. I'm here every step of the way. Show up by your actions. Let me help you. And then share your story. Me too. Me too. And watch what happens as we encourage one another, as we put that encouragement back in.
We can be that to one another. And that's what God is calling us to do today. So find somebody. Whose arms do you need to hold up? Whose arms do you need to hold up this week? You might be saying, my arms are so tired, I don't know if I can hold up anyone else's. Well, I pray God brings someone alongside you. But when we hold each other's arms up, it's amazing that even those who hold the arms up begin to find some encouragement. And we can do that for each other. You know, we, we talk about community, moving out of our rows into circles. Who do you connect with here on a regular basis? You can't know everybody, but you can know some folks. When I think about our life group that we've been a part of for a couple of years, and there's been people that have come in and, and out of the group at different times, but real-life stuff that we deal with, real-life faith discouragement, somebody who's dealing with a friend who's terminally ill, some dealing with parents who are in a different stage in life and having to figure out how to best support them, a couple of us dealing with uh, sending off our eldest to college and supporting each other in that time, challenges of, of, of job loss or transitions, financial challenges. We, some of us have teenagers and younger kids. There's something about everyday life where you get together with others and in a safe place can say, you know what, how does God speak into this? And how can we encourage each other? And we dig into God's word, we pray together, we just share life, the good, the bad, the ugly. That's what living in community is all about. And you have that opportunity. Lean in, move closer, find a place to welcome others, to encourage others, to love one another. That's what God has for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the way that I get to experience encouragement from this body. Those that speak life and hope, that see the positive, that bring out the good, that share the difficulties in love as well and the challenges. Father, I pray for anyone here today that, that needs encouragement. God, we know it comes from you and from your word and from being together and worshiping, but God, I pray that we would be there for each other. Lift our spirits to know that we have hope, that we do not have a spirit of fear or timidity, God, but a spirit of love and of power and of self-discipline to move forward, to conquer and to face whatever it is that is before us. Because, God, we don't go in it alone. We go with you, and we go with others around us who will lift our arms, who will encourage each other. God, may we be a church of arm lifters here this morning, that we would leave encouraged because of who you are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.